There's a crown. You can win it if you go in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, what a joy. Amen. What a joy. All right. The Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. I was sharing with Stephanie something the other day. Might have been yesterday, the day before. Days run together. A lot going on over the last several days. And it was in regards to a missionary in the remote villages of the Congo. He was part of the Baptist Union Missionary Society out of uh, America. He was a Canadian, but he was a doctor. And the Lord saved him, and he gave his life to going to mission field, and he uh, was going into these remote places of the jungle or the Congo, crossed the uh, particular river, went deep into the jungle, and this was around the early 1900s. Well, he spent 17 years over there. Things didn't go the way that he anticipated or the way that he would like. There was some um, conflict that happened and some with some tribal leaders in some of these places. And some of those things were reconciled and they got that together. But he come back to America after 17 years over there. And he came back with a, just a defeated spirit as if he, uh, what his work didn't accomplish what he wanted it to accomplish. It seemed like he was a very um, unsuccessful in that assignment, in that mission. And uh, he was just burdened by it. And he, and he died in that, that same mindset that he didn't uh, achieve much over there. Well, it wasn't too long ago, recently... <coughs> Uh, there were some missionaries who reached and got into some of these remote places that uh, they had no idea were even there. And when they come across them, I think there was a, they found a network of churches spread out through these, in this jungle. And I may not get all the facts right on it uh, without reading it to you. But they found that they had uh, an inner tribal choir that they had established. They found that they had built physical churches. They found that they had what they called a concrete cathedral that would seat a thousand people in it. And they said back in the 1980s, it was so full with a revival that took place during that time frame that they couldn't even fit everybody in all these tribal people in this, in this cathedral out there with that many uh, seats. And they began to investigate, you know, when did all this happen? How did it happen? And they didn't even really remember the guy's name, Dr. Leslie. But they knew of a man that had come over and had started this, this mission work, and there was no Bible in these tribes' languages, so he taught them uh, French, and that's all they had was a French Bible, and then they passed that French language over to these various teachers, and these teachers have been teaching the Bible in French to these tribes, and that they had this uh, great network of churches uh, elders and pastors and church workers and all that in this remote jungle area. 
and they didn't even know the guy's name who had come. They just knew some things about him and where he came from and who he was connected with. And they started backtracking to figure out who it was and traced it back to Dr. Leslie and then researched his life and found out that he had come back after 17 years over there thinking that his work didn't amount to anything and that he died not knowing what had been accomplished over there. And uh, the thing about it, if you go in Jesus' name, there's a crown. And he's still receiving uh, the reward of what he started and what he sowed. Met his wife over there, Clara Hill. They wind up getting married and come back. She was another missionary, a nurse, uh, and just all kind of things when you read about his life. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy reading about some of these uh, missionaries that go to these places and the things that they do and the things that they experience, these living works, they always bless me every time I, I read them. I got a book called In the Company of the Preachers. And it's just a history of these different preachers throughout the years. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of preachers are profiled in it. In the works they've done all the way back, takes us back to the apostles and all the way through. And it's just so interesting to see the the different things that people did and how some things really blew up in the sense that everybody could see uh, the effects of their works right then. And then for quite a few of them, uh, you did not know that they accomplished hardly anything until years and years and years later. But little is much when God is in it. When God is in it. He will finish. He always finishes what he starts. He always fulfills what he says. He always fulfills what he says. And that's what we see. God uh, accomplishing his promises. He had been promising the, the world that he was going to send a light in the world. That there would be one who would bless the nations. That he would be a prophet. That he would be a messenger. And we see in this, this is what Matthew is really helping us with. Remember, what was Matthew's name? What was his proper name? Levi. His name was Levi. He had joined himself to the Roman Empire. He had taken advantage of his own people. He was most likely extremely disliked by the majority of the Jews. And you've got to keep in mind, some of these guys that Jesus reached and that he set aside to be his apostles now. Remember, there was 12 of them. One of them was the devil, and that was all part of God's plan. So we had 11 of them, and some of them were what they call zealots. They were th these radicals who stood for uh, the reform of the Jewish people and hated Rome and hated everything about them and re would revolt and fought against Rome. And now you've got these zealots who can't stand Rome and anybody that supports Rome, they'd rather cut their throat than talk to them. And then you got Levi, who was a publican, who had joined the Roman Empire and took advantage of his people. Now you got two totally different worlds coming together in harmony and following after Jesus. Amen. Zealots and publicans coming together, working together, being brothers in Christ in their relationship to Jesus and following after him and doing what God had set them apart to do. And that's just what Jesus does. He takes unlikely people uh, 
transforms their lives and then puts them together with other unlikely people and they fit perfectly within his body to do his work. People that usually would have never been together, people who would have fought against one another in everyday normal life, but Jesus was the common bond that drew them together and then used them to bring glory to his name. Levi, he opened up his life. He opened up his lifestyle. He opened up uh, the giftings that he had. And here we have a, a record that he has written. Starting in verse number 1 of Matthew 1, says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And anytime you see this, when it talks about the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, what he's saying that he took by the inspiration of God's Spirit to write down a chronicled record of the lineage of Jesus from Abraham through David through Mary, though it's tied to Joseph. This lineage in Matthew's Gospel is the lineage to Joseph, which was not his biological father. Remember, Joseph... Uh, had no part in the birth of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was not begat or begotten by Joseph. Let's just take a little look at this lineage, if we would, for a moment. Notice these words. He starts out of this record. The rest of the book is going to continue to open up who this Jesus is. He is this prophetic Messiah that was to come. He is the King of the Jews the one that had been foretold would come. Levi's audience, who is now called Matthew, who is a gift from God, he is bringing this out, that this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the anointed one. This is the one God been promising. God always finishes what he starts. He always fulfills what he says. This is who he is. So he starts out in verse number 2, Abraham... Abraham begot Isaac. That was, Abraham was the father of Isaac. All this is significant. That's one of the neat things about the, the Jewish Hebrew people is that they have such a solid record of their history. They were highly persecuted throughout history, but they were well preserved and kept by the power of God for a purpose. And that purpose was for this purpose, and that is to bring Jesus to the world. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. How many brothers did Judah have? He had 11 other brothers. There was 12 of them, right? Him being the 12 of the tribe of Judah. So these other tribes had their place and they had their, their part, but the seed of the Messiah would come through Judah. Verse 3, Judah begot Perez and Zerah. These were twin boys, Perez and Zerah. Zerah is the only one mentioned as men in this lineage that is not actually in the lineage of Jesus. It's just taking us back to a historical marker. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by who? Now, who was Tamar? His daughter-in-law. His daughter-in-law. His daughter-in-law. She 
dressed up like a prostitute and treated her, uh, herself like a prostitute and tricked Judah. Why? Historically, you go back and look, she had a husband. Her husband died. Well, he promised another son. That son died. He promised another one, right? And what happened? It had to wait. Didn't happen. So what does she do? She disguises herself one day, puts on these garments, and acts like a prostitute. Judah's visiting where Tamar is at. He secures her services, and she winds up getting pregnant, and she has twins, and one of those twins is Perez, and Perez is in the direct lineage or line of King David as well as the Lord Jesus. Genesis. Let's go look for a moment. I want to say somewhere toward chapter number 38 or so. Yeah, 38. We're not going to read the whole thing, but it says in verse number 1 of chapter number 38, it came to pass at the time that Judah departed from his brothers and he visited a certain Adulamite whose name was, I guess, Hira. Is that how you say that? And Judah saw there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. She conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son, and he was at Shevez when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for her, for Er, his firstborn, and her name was... Tamar. So Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. But he was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And what happened? Verse number 7. Who killed him? The Lord killed him. Verse 8. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. That's just how they operate it. When a brother died, he would take his wife and that he would raise an heir. It was all about a lineage. It was all about an heir. And that's what he was supposed to do. But he, he rebelled and he didn't do that. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. Remember, let's tie this back to Jesus with Joseph. Joseph knew that he had not known Mary in a physical sense, so that child that she was had in her womb could not be his. Joseph thought about those things, and he thought about doing what? Putting her away. Putting her away. He was under a betrothal contract with her father, and he had legal authority to put her away, and he was going to do it secretly, quietly, he didn't want to cause no trouble, but an angel came to him in the middle of the night and told him that what was going on was of the work of God and that he needed to take her. And he trusted and did what God asked him to do. Well, here's Onan. He didn't want to do that because he knew that this wouldn't be his heir. This heir would go to his brother. So he chose not to follow that lead. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground, least she should give an heir to his brother, least he should give an heir to his brother. Verse 10, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore God what? He's killing these boys. 
Verse 11 says, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah. Shelah is grown, for he said, For fear he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house while she waited. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his wife, his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear the sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and she sat in an open place which was on the highway of Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown and he was not given to him, to her as a wife yet. So when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned by the way and said, please let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his what? Scandal after scandal. Ooh, the Messiah come to this world through scandals, didn't he? What will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? She's playing him now. What pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on her garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of a friend of the Adumalite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. He couldn't find her, this prostitute. Then he asked the men of that place, Where's the harlot? who was openly by the roadside, and they said, there are no harlots around here. We don't have any poverty that does that kind of business. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of that place said there was no harlot in the place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself. Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed, for I sent this young goat and have not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be what? Oh, man, more scandal. It's getting ugly. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And he said, Please determine whose these are, and the signet, and the cord, and the staff. So Judah acknowledged and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. He changed his, his tune pretty quick, didn't he? So this is how we get these two boys. Perez and Zerah. Now, Zerah is mentioned, but he's actually not in the lineage. And I think it has some significance to it. If you was to read back in the book of Joshua, in the first few chapters, you get up to the Jericho. Remember what, what happened in Jericho when Joshua went in and God told them that they were not to take any of the spoil of Jericho. All of it belonged to who? All of it was God. It was the first fruits of the land. 
They couldn't take anything. But one guy by the name of Achan took something and he hid it away. And as a result, it caused trouble for everybody else. And then God said, I want you to find out who did it. Well, they found out who did it and it come down that it was Achan who did it. And you know what the Bible does do? It takes and says that Achan and all his family and all his descendants, all his children would be taken out and they were to be stoned and killed and they were to pile up a heap of rocks, a heap of ruin around them. And the Bible directly ties Achan and calls him Achan, the son of Zerah. The son of Zerah. Though there's many generations in between. The son of Zerah. So Zerah's mentioned, but he's mentioned as a product of uh, the, the, the fall, as a product of the curse, just like how Achan was that product of a curse and what he did, and that cost him. Just like when Adam sinned, what happened to all of Adam's descendants like us? What happened? Sin. We were all condemned to Sin. death. Sin. We were all condemned to death, just like Achan's descendants. Well, there's a neat story when Tamar had these two boys. If I don't know if y'all remember that. Y'all remember the story? What happened when she gave birth to them? One of them stuck their arm out and what? They tied a red scarlet thread around it to identify him. But before he could actually come out as the firstborn, they said, who broke through like a rushing water? Perez did. That's what his name means, breakthrough. Breakthrough. So there's a great picture in this is that that picture of that first Adam and the second Adam, the one who the curse fell upon and all his descendants in Achan, and then Perez, who was the picture of the blessing of grace, as in the lineage of who? The one who brought grace to us and dealt with us in the fall. So we, we see this image right here of this redemptive picture in Matthew chapter 1 with Perez and Zerah. Well, it goes on to say, look if you would, Perez beget, back in Matthew chapter 1, Perez beget Hezron, and Hezron beget Ram, and Ram beget Abendadab, and Abendadab beget, and I'm not going to name all these names, y'all just see all these begets, they're going to get out of control. I'm going to have to let Stephanie do it. And then I'm going to embarrass Stephanie because they just get hard to do. We have to get Greg to come do it. Who else wants to volunteer to do it? But they're all significant. That's why God recorded. That's why Matthew recorded this for us. And it goes on down. And notice who we come to in verse number 5. Boaz beget who? Verse 5 says, Boaz by Rahab, Boaz beget Obed, by Ruth, Obed beget who? Yes. Alright, so let's look. We've got now another woman mentioned. So we've got three women mentioned thus far. Three women. Two of these women were, what were they? Harlots. Or played the harlot. Wasn't Rahab a harlot? Where did Rahab live? She was in Jericho, but she... She was a harlot in Jericho, but she feared God, trusted God, and same thing. Don't we find something, didn't she tie on something in her door? What was it? A scarlet handkerchief or something of that identifying, that cloth, 
so that when the spies come in, when the army came in, they would notice that and they would what? Pass by, not harm that house. So we see in this picture again, in this, this unveiling of Jesus. Now you can't make this stuff up. Nobody can just pin these things and say all this come out. There's too much in details. There's too many years in between. All this is all pictures of the prophetic work of God. That God redeems the fallen. God redeems the prostitutes. God redeems the scoundrels. God redeems those who are full of scandal. That's just what it is. Matter of fact, the message of the cross itself is a scandal. It's just unbelievable to think that God would do what he did, but I'm thankful for his grace. Amen? Amen. So we come to the, uh, another section, and it says, And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of... Don't even mention her name. What was her name? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. So we've got a fourth woman that is mentioned now. And we see in her that her name is actually not mentioned. But remember Bathsheba gave birth to another son prior to Solomon that that son died, right? Now Joseph is in the line of Solomon. Mary, on the other hand, Mary the mother of Jesus is in the line of David, but he came, or she came, her line came through David's son, Nathan. That's where Luke gives us insight, because Luke's gospel, its objective, is to take us all the way back to Adam. And in Adam, it brings us all the way to Jesus. Matthew's intention and purpose is to let the Jews know that this Messiah, this Jesus is of the seed of Abraham, he's of the seed of David, he's of the seed of Solomon, and he is of the rightful heir, legal heir to the throne of God through his quote-unquote legal father. Who was his legal father on earth? Joseph was. He wasn't his biological father, but legally he was his father. He raised him, he took him in, And it's through that lineage that we see in Matthew's gospel. Matthew breaks it down, what, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. 14 from Abraham to the monarchy of David, and then from David, 14 generations to the Babylonian captivity, and then 14 generations from the captivity to the coming of Christ. So we got significant events and these 14 generation periods from Abraham to David, from David to Babylon, from Babylon to the coming of Christ. So we see this. We got these begots, these begots, and it carries us all the way down. Look in verse number 12. And after they were brought to Babylon, then we see Jeconiah, and it comes on down, talks about Zerubbabel and how Zerubbabel, remember he was the governor that came back, that was the head when he brought him back from Babylon. Him and Joshua, the priest, set up and built the, the foundation for the, the temple and built it. And then we come on down, and if you look, if you would, in verse number 15, how you say that guy's name? Eliud, he beget... Elazar and Elazar beget 
Mathan, and Mathan beget Jacob, and Jacob beget who? Joseph. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Mary was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say that Joseph begot Jesus. That's where the begot stopped. Remember, Matthew's under the inspiration of the Spirit. He's being, he's being taught. I understand, just like many of us can understand, don't, don't understand all these things, how all these things come about and how they all were worked out by God. But God knows what God wants to get out. And what he did in this letter, in that time, he wrote and he gave a record for us. In his insight, he knew that Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. Whether the world wanted to believe it or not, whether the Jews wanted to believe it or not, because you've got to keep in mind that they were, not, they were not just flocks and flocks and flocks of people who followed after Jesus. Even his own family, even his own brothers didn't believe him. They didn't believe him until after the resurrection. What this helps us with is a couple things. Is that it reminds us that Jesus was a fulfillment of a prophetic word that a virgin would give birth. Something we want to be reminded of is that Mary didn't remain a virgin. She had other children. And she had other children by who? By Joseph. She did. Some people propagate that Mary remained a virgin. And she didn't. She actually gave birth to uh, other children, brothers and sisters that Jesus has. But in Isaiah chapter, num- in chapter number 7, he says in uh, verse number 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. What is the sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Now, notice what it, what it doesn't say. Verse 14 again, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It doesn't say how the virgin would conceive. And bear the son. Just that a virgin would conceive. And bear a son. But it doesn't tell us the means of her conception. We learn of the means of her conception. At a later time. So why, when you think about this. And you think about it with both Mary and Joseph. When Joseph found out that Mary was with child, even though Joseph could have been very familiar with this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 7, it doesn't say in Isaiah 7 that her conception would be supernatural. It just says a virgin will conceive. Well, a virgin can conceive through natural means. So there was nothing in that that would give any indication that something supernatural was going to happen. 
So you can see how in his mind he's still thinking that Mary had to have a relationship with another man. Even though this prophecy says that the virgin shall conceive, it doesn't tell us how she's going to conceive. We only find out later that God came to her and by the power of His, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that what? Brooded over the earth when God created that it is the same spirit that conceived in the womb of Mary. We didn't know that, though, until it happened. So all this prophetic word coming up to that point, they just knew that a child was going to be given. Isaiah 9 talks about him and said, His name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And that he's going to reign. He's going to have a government. He's going to establish it. He's going to order and all these things. All these prophetic pictures of a Messiah, anointed one, they kept looking for a king to come to rule and deliver them from Roman oppression. But in their mind was, was very difficult for them to fathom that this woman could conceive without natural means. Some people even propagate. Have you ever heard that term, immaculate conception? You ever heard that? that they teach that Mary was also conceived in a supernatural way because Mary, to be the mother of Jesus and for Jesus to be without sin, Mary would have to be without sin in birthing Him. But that's, that's not the case here. Mary was, was highly favored of God, but Mary needed to be saved just like everybody else needed Amen. to be saved. Amen. Amen? Amen? There was nothing supernatural about in the same manner as Jesus' conception with His mother. She was a normal woman, conceived of normal means by a father and a mother. That would be a seed and an egg. But Jesus, on the other hand, was created differently. The, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and in her womb. How did it happen? Anybody want to try to explain it? Other than, just like when God created Adam in the beginning, God created Jesus in a womb of a woman. It didn't need the seed of a man. Didn't need that. All God was using Mary for was a womb to place that child within. And that virgin who had not known a man has now has a living child within her. And just think about that for a moment though. Think about that that concept, think about that, that time, think about her being told of what was going on and what was about to happen. I mean, we're talking about unbelievable stuff here. Think about that. Think about Joseph on his side having to take that word of the angel. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Outside of supernatural help. And it's the same thing when God burst Jesus in us. It's an unbelievable thing. It's an unbelievable supernatural work 
that God comes and takes up residence with inside of us. Amen? Amen. It's supernatural. It's, it's unbelievable, but it's also undeniable. You can't deny the effect of it. And that's exactly what we see with her, is this unbelievable, supernatural, undeniable work of what God did within her womb and brought about our living Redeemer in flesh that tabernacled amongst us, that walked with us. He didn't need a man to conceive. God supernaturally produced in that womb of that young maiden himself and clothed himself in flesh and then tabernacled amongst us. Jesus was not begotten by Joseph, but Joseph was his legal father and therefore he was in the lineage or the line of the kingly role of the nation of the Jews. And that's what Matthew's message is about. He talks about uh, the kingdom of heaven. Next, when you're reading through it this week and then next week in the coming days, every time you come across those words, the kingdom of heaven, just circle them, the kingdom of heaven. Why? He is showing us that God has invaded this world with the kingdom of heaven through the precious work of His own Son, that God Himself, heaven came down. Emmanuel came to tabernacle or dwell with us because God is for us. The kingdom of heaven is for us. And God is for us because God wants to do a work in us. Why does God want to do a work in us? So that God can fill us. Why does He want to fill us? So that He can lead us. Why does He want to lead us? So that He can guide us through this life in a supernatural way, just like He did with Mary, just like He did with Joseph just like he did with Matthew and anybody else that's ever walked with him. It's been a supernatural work of God working these things out. And we can't help but praise him, amen, amen. and give him glory for it. So look back in Matthew, if you would, and that's where he picks up in verse number 18 about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, remember that betrothal was a legal binding agreement that Joseph had made an agreement, and Joseph's father, they were all involved in it with Mary's father about what he would do. Before they came together, she was found with child of the the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, it's not something that he was just hasty to do and ran off to do. He pondered them and thought about them. An angel of the Lord, Brother Shannon asked this question earlier, was this angel, it's mentioned in verse number 24, as the angel or the messenger, Obviously here, when you go look at it and you look at it in the Greek, there is no definite article for the word the. It's just added for understanding. So this would be most likely uh, Gabriel, who was actively involved telling Mary what was going to happen. Luke's gospel talks about how Gabriel came. And more than likely it was Gabriel here who says that uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid 
to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel that would be the angel that came to him in the dream commanded him and he took him his wife and did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn and he called his name what? Jesus. God told him in advance what his name would be. What's the name Jesus? What does it mean? The Lord saves. The Lord will save his people. So, a lot of times we approach these things and just take them and um, not really think about the significance of how challenging all this would be if you was put in that situation. Let's say you were the, you were Mary. Yes, that was part of the, uh, but he didn't want to do that. That's why the scripture says that he being a, a just man, knew that she had done something in his mind that she shouldn't have done, but he didn't want to cause her no harm. He didn't want to go through. He wanted to show her what? Mercy. Mercy. He was just being merciful. He wanted to put her away secretly and then just separate, go their separate ways. But then God came to him and spoke to him on time. See, prior to this, Joseph didn't have any information of all this was going to happen. God didn't tell him, Keith, before they betrothed and came in that legal agreement. God didn't tell him in advance these things were going to happen. He was already in the thick of it when God came to him and gave him a word. So now you receive this, I mean, out of the ordinary, unusual message that comes and that you get a, a message in a dream that says the lady that you are marrying, that you're in a contract with, you're in agreement with, you've committed to, that she's pregnant. Not only she's pregnant, but she's pregnant by the supernatural work of God. I mean, that for most of us, we'd say, come on now, explain that to me. How's all this work? Tell me about it again. Or Mary being told these things. Well, we're talking about unbelievable stuff outside of something supernatural happening. You can't believe this without God's help. Amen? Amen. You're not going to believe it. People are not going to believe it. You know why there's been wars fought and people have battled and why you're talking about so many Hebrew Jews throughout the years still don't believe it. Why? God tells us that there was a partial blindness put on them. It's impossible for them to believe it. Because God extended that message over to a Gentile world like us. And I'm telling you, if you believe it, God's done a supernatural work in your life for you to be able to believe this. This is an unbelievable thing. It don't make any sense, does it? But God does a lot of things that don't make sense. But they're right. And they're good and they're pure, and they're trustworthy, 
And that's what we see historically again and again. God had his people do things over and over again that just didn't make any sense whatsoever. Any sense. Like Gideon reducing down his army to 300 people going to fight a major, three, three nations he's going to fight. How did he fight them? He fought them at night. Didn't even have to fight them. All they did was put, God told him to take and take these lamps and put a light in it and just march around the, march around the mountain. And they fought against themselves. That didn't make sense. But you see, what did he do? He trusted God and did exactly what God told him to do. And when he did, there was a victory. It doesn't make sense to march around the walls of Jericho once a day for seven days and then march around it and then shout. And an impossible thing takes place. The walls fall, not inward, but the walls fall outward. Normally, if an army is going to penetrate your walls, they knock your wall down on top of you. But the walls didn't fall that away. They fell this away, not because they pushed them down, but because God knocked them down because they were obedient. They just trusted him, did what he told them to do. King Jehoshaphat, what did he tell him to do? He's got three nations coming after him. And God told him to put the choir out in front, put the singers out in front, and let them sing of my mercy and of my salvation. That's what he did. Not the army, not the fighters. They put the singers out in front and they marched. The army marched behind them. The singers praised God and talked about his abundant mercy and kept singing. And then they show up to a camp where there's people uh, laid out in dead and destroyed. And they show up and the battle was already won. It took them days just to pick up the spoil and bring it back. Didn't make sense. But they what? Trusted God. Remember Moses when they was fighting those enemies down in the valley and Moses had that rod. The enemies were overtaking God's people, but every once in a while Moses would raise up that rod. And when he would raise up the rod, the Israelites would overpower the people. He'd drop his arms, the people would overpower them. So they wised up, two of them said, but look, let's get a rock, sat him down, and one stood on one side of him, and the other stood on the other side, and they just held his arms up and held the rod up until victory was won. Didn't make sense, but God does a lot of things that just don't make sense to us, and it doesn't make sense to a world that God would leave heaven, be clothed in the womb of a woman, live, breathe, live a sinless life, die on the behalf of sinners, be condemned in that curse for us, that just don't make sense. Don't make sense. But it does to God, does it? Amen. And it's a message worth believing. And you know what? When you believe it, you know what you get? Just like the children of Israel at Jericho, just like Gideon, just like Moses, just like David when he took out that sling and fighting that big old giant, a boy that didn't know how to fight, never fought before, didn't have no armor on, didn't make sense. Everybody said, hey, you need to put that armor on. You're going out there to fight him. He's been killing men way longer than you've been alive. He's been eating men alive. You need to have some protection when you go out there. David said, I've never tried it out, but I'm just going to trust in the Lord. 
and he took five stones out there and he sunk one in the old skull of Goliath and dropped him, then went and took his big old sword and cut his own head off. Didn't make sense. But you know what David walked away with that day? Victory. Why? He trusted. And when you trust God and you trust what he's done in Jesus, you know what you walk away with? You walk away in triumph. You walk away in victory every single time when it makes no sense whatsoever. When God tells you to go be a blessing to somebody, that it doesn't make sense for you to go do it, go do it. You'll walk away in victory. Amen? Amen. When God says give a little bit here to help somebody, you do it. And when you do it, you know what? You walk away in victory. And when we obey Him, the, the reward of obedience is the victory. But we're not looking for the victory. We already got victory. Our victory is found in our obedience. And when we're obedient, he rewards obedience. Amen? Amen. With triumph. And you can follow him all day long. So Mary triumphed in obedience and victory. And when we take that message and walk in it, we too, we triumph in obedience and victory with the Lord. Every single time. To Him be the glory. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank You tonight. Thank You for our time together. We ask that You help us as we journey through this Gospel of Matthew, that You teach us, that You guide us through it, that the things that we just can't explain or don't know, we're just going to entrust to You. And even what we do think we know, we're going to entrust that to You too, and that You refine us and that you teach us what you desire, and that we would just be obedient and follow your lead. And we know that you always lead us in triumph when you lead. So we give you the praise. Thank you for diffusing that fragrance and aroma of your knowledge in every place when we walk with you. We just want to help people smell you and taste and see that you are good. And we want to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.